everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. All right, folks, Brandon Odo back with another Turbo. I want to spin off last episode where I talked about uh, a couple things that are, are good or useful or many times meaningful for people to hear, um, talking about speaking with families and patients. Uh, as a twist to that, I want to give you a couple other things that really personally I would rather not hear. These are things that just um, are often said, often said to me and perhaps to you, and yet I think they are uh, at best unnecessary and at worst and really more likely they can be kind of harmful. They're just, they really are sort of, they don't have the meaning that I think people believe them to have. And I understand the motivation behind them. But I, I think if you kind of introspect, you'll realize that, uh, well, let's, let's get into it and you'll see. The first thing that I'd rather not hear is, you know, this often comes on as you, you come on to shift. You come on the service and you're taking over patients, maybe hearing a sign out. And they have a sick patient, somebody who has been really unwell and they've been resuscitating. And they'll say something like, this patient's probably going to die tonight. For some reason, it seems all the more so when you come onto a night shift. I guess it could be coming onto a day shift. But it's like a, it's a prediction. Whoever was taking care of the patient, their, their gestalt is that this patient is dying. And in fact, they are going to die within the next probably 12 hours if those are your shifts. I don't love hearing this for a number of reasons. For one thing, it's kind of a downer. Uh, but, you know, if you really believe that you could predict uh, the patient's prognosis so accurately that you could tell me something like this, you could tell me this patient is going to die and I know when, well, then great. That would be helpful to know. I'd like to know it. I'm sure the patient's family would like to know it. But do you really think that's true? And I'll tell you what happens the vast majority of the time I hear this. I take care of the patient, I do everything I can, and by the end of the shift, they're still alive. Now, it is true, in many of those cases, the patient will go on to die in the next day, couple days, several days, or at least, let's say this hospitalization. These certainly are extremely unwell patients, and long-term, their prognosis is probably not very good. But if you really believe that you could pin down the fact that they're going to die in the next few hours, I think you're overestimating how good you are at prognostication. Maybe you're even overestimating your ability to take care of these patients, or you know what, maybe you're underestimating mine. That's kind of the message. In your care, meaning mine if I'm coming on, this patient is going to die. Now, of course, people don't mean this to be denigrating. They mean that within the kind of uh, normal realm or range of the standard of care, the patient's not going to make it. But some, there's some part of me that hears that as a challenge. Now, you know, maybe that means I try to rise to the challenge and, and do better. But really, if we believe that the majority of the time we're taking good care of patients, then uh, any deviation from that is actually less good. So if you're trying to make it to the end of your shift and you're doing absolutely everything you could think of, even if it has no impact on the long-term prognosis, but you can eke out another 
two hours out of them until they code by hanging a bicarb drip. Uh, maybe that's not for the better. You know, it's like uh, people talk about the VIP syndrome. You label a patient as a important person. Their relative is on the board of the hospital or something. That's probably not a great thing to hear, right? That, like, other than being having a message of uh, elitism, you know, aren't we taking care of all of our patients well? There is even data showing that many of these patients end up with worse outcomes because if you were already taking care of everyone correctly and you do something different for these patients, then whatever you're doing differently must be worse, right? Probably what it means is doing more, being, quote, conservative, getting the extra test, doing the extra treatment so you can never be faulted for not doing it. But of course, we know on a higher level that doing more is not always better and maybe worse. So taking care of that VIP the same way as you would anybody else may be the best way to go. Much the same here, right? I don't need someone's guess or prediction this patient is not going to do well. They are or they're not. I'm going to do my thing, and then we'll see. The other thing I would kind of rather not hear so much of is the general idea, and this may apply in different situations, that, you know, I don't want to, let's say, intubate this person. That's what you'll most often hear, intubate them, because I don't think I'll be able to extubate them, or I don't think anyone will be able to. I don't think they'll be extubatable. And there, there is a potential kernel of content here which is meaningful, but I think people twist it and get confused about it. So let's say you have a patient who has uh, chronic lung disease, like COPD. You hear it for them a lot. And they've been supported on non-invasive and stuff like that, and you think you might have to intubate them, and you're thinking, well, at this stage in disease, these patients often may not be able to wean after this. Just they may have progressed far enough that they can no longer survive without uh, fairly continuous ventilatory support. Okay, great. But are you saying that because you recognize this patient has reached a point in their irreversible disease that they need to make a decision that they either want to be on long-term mechanical ventilation or they want to just kind of pursue comfort measures and that's not the sort of life they want? That is a perfectly reasonable and appropriate question to ask and you should ask that at this point. Maybe I don't want to innovate this person because essentially they wouldn't want to be permanently ventilated. But what people are often actually saying, or at least believing, is that I don't want to innovate this person because I think intubating them may cause them to be dependent on the ventilator. In other words, the act of innovating them is not just recognizing the progression of their disease, it is changing it. You are influencing the arc of it by the act of innovating them. A great example of this was during COVID. Uh, we understood that patients whose respiratory failure from COVID uh, caused them to be innovated portended overall a, a relatively poor prognosis. Certainly many patients did okay, but worse than if they hadn't been innovated. That seems obvious, right? It's a marker for disease. But what some people uh, reasonably asked, and in some cases probably twisted, was the idea that intubating them would cause them to become very ill. And I can understand that. I mean, in many of these patients, as soon as you put that tube in, a patient who had been maybe sitting on BiPAP for a couple days, 
not doing amazing, but, you know, awake, not in shock, kind of doing all right. And then suddenly you put a tube in and they're on high peeps, high FiO2s, deeply sedated. You have to paralyze them. Now they're on pressors. You're putting in lines and proning them and whatever else. You could legitimately ask the question of whether the change in physiology uh, was a bad thing for those patients. And I don't think we know the answer to that. But what many of the lay public started to ask and see was that if you got intubated, you're probably going to die. Therefore, you shouldn't get intubated. And that's a misunderstanding here. You're, you're distorting cause and effect. Innovation as a marker for disease is associated with a poor outcome here, as in so many other cases. But it doesn't mean that it causes poor outcomes. It's just that you're, you're forced to it, you're driven to it by severe disease. And this applies for these other patients as well. If you can't extubate a patient who you've intubated because their disease is so severe, then yes, their disease is very severe, but you didn't make it that way. Avoiding intubating them is just failing to adequately support them for where their disease is at. Or, as I said, it's acknowledging that they don't want that. They have made a decision that they don't want to go that direction in life, which is fine. But don't think that you are somehow keeping them from being sick by not treating their sickness. Just a couple things to think about. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>